Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Faithfully Engaged. Today, I've got a uh, different kind of guest here today. I got a really interesting story with him. So I have Nathan Albertson today. He is a church planter uh, with Church of the King in Evansville, Indiana, and creative director of Warhorn Media, um, for whom he produces and appears on several podcasts, including Sanity at the Movies, Sound of Sanity, The Bookening, and The Ville. So Nathan, it's great to have you on today. Great to be here. How are we doing, Johnny? Doing great. Doing great. Yeah, that kind of kind of a, a back back behind scenes there where we're dealing with not able to hear each other. So it's great to actually hear you, and we're, and we're gonna have this conversation. That's right. And I was saying I could have a conversation. Johnny's eyes, because if people don't know, he's got Frodo Baggins, <laughs> baby blues. There should be lifeguards just to watch and make sure that I don't dive into <laughs> his eyes. I'm a happily married conservative Christian man. So, but I guess if people are only get the audio version of this, or they only know Johnny through some sort of non uh, verbal or, or non, um, you know what I'm saying? They don't see him visually. <laughs> then I just think that that's an important detail here because if I suddenly trail off or something, it's because I've been hypnotized by <laughs> I mean, I think this guy could start his 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 counseling uh, practice just all all based on this natural attribute that he's been given. He barely needs to say anything, but I, I just just want to make sure that people understand that if they if they're only listening to this podcast. I need to make that a part of my own intro. Beware I, 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 of eyes. Beware you of will eyes. drown. Yeah, you should put that in in the little uh, thing that you send out to people the, your your email. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. So, Nathan, tell us just a little bit about your uh, your, your podcasting career there. It sounds like you got your hands in, in quite a few projects there. So kind of tell the audience a little bit about what you do there. Yes, sir. So I am actually more or less a professional podcaster. You could read that blurb and people could be forgiven for thinking, oh, he's a guy on the internet that says that about himself. I mean, there's all kinds of guys on the internet that I'm a creative writer. And that doesn't mean you've actually <laughs> published anything. That just means you put the words creative writer in your bio. Obviously, anybody can start a podcast, which is which is one of the joys of the medium. Sure. And I'm not, I'm not upset about that. Um, at a certain point, I was just starting one, but I, I want people to understand I get paid to do this, baby. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I work. I am the creative director for a ministry called Warhorn Media. We exist to basically bring sanity to an insane world. Mm. That's that's kind of our byline. So we, we just want to exist in spaces oh boy listen to me I, I sound like we just want to exist in the spaces of uh basically we want to do we, we do culture we do pop culture we do uh, a lot of different podcasts we do articles we've done some video stuff and the goal is to bring as i say just just normalcy normal isn't normal anymore so mm -hmm. we just we just want to sort of let people bask in the joy of normal thoughts about sexuality, about other places where the Christian witness is under attack today. So mm -hmm. we try we try not to be people that have a chip on our shoulders or anything like that, but we, we do kind of want to occupy those spaces where where things feel a little danger and, and where people 
are tempted to feel insane because precisely because they're sane, precisely because they're the normal ones. You know, they just believe what people have always believed about men and women or things like that. And, you, you know, you can feel very crazy just being a Christian these days. So uh, I occupy that space man why do i keep saying occupy space i do not care for that language at all that's like uh that's like corporate speak we're, we're yeah. um sounds like bob Iger or something like that we're, we're gonna occupy the space but uh i occupy i occupy that space i don't know where that's coming from it's it's those eyes they're making me nervous man making me <laughs> you're, you're drowning man i'm drowning i'm drowning in the we send the lifeguard but uh, yeah, so I I uh, am also a church planter here with uh, our head pastor is named Jacob Menzel, and he also appears on many podcasts with me. We kind of co-founded Warhorn Media mm-hmm. together. So my my day job is Warhorn Media, but I also preach and help out and do some counseling and stuff like that for our church plant. Uh, the, if people want to listen to my podcast, I'll just go ahead and slip yeah. a plug in there like a, yeah. a real pro. Uh, I, I do one called Sound of Sanity, which, again, just exists to bring biblical sanity to an insane world. Uh, the one that I'm actually most excited about right now is called Sanity at the Movies. And the reason that I'm excited about that is because it, it is the best Christian movie podcast mm-hmm. ever made. So pretty easy to be excited about yeah. something that's the best in its field, the, the Mona Lisa of Christian movie podcast. And by the way, by, when I say Christian movie podcast, I do not mean that we review terrible Christian movies. We're not doing God is not dead or something like that. Two uh, or three or whatever. We're or, 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 or yeah. And any movie about like a football coach who rediscovers <laughs> his faith, we are not reviewing that, but um, we just, uh, I encourage anyone with an interest in movies or culture or the world you live in to check that out. We do some recent re- releases. I mean, we'll be doing Flash and Oppenheimer and the new Indiana Jones and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But we also do long form deep dives into classic films. I mean, could be Buster Keaton, could be Charlie Chaplin, could be The Godfather, uh, could be Samurai Films, Kurosawa. Um, but we really just use the podcast as a springboard to talk about all kinds of like we just recorded an episode on Rocky classic mm. film yeah. Adrian Rocky but um and it hasn't come out yet but we actually used it as a springboard somehow to talk about boxing and blood sports and the way that societies from like ancient babylon mm. on have uh, used and abused the masculine urge to dominate and to uh defeat their enemies and the way that it's been gamified and what's good about that, what's bad about that. And um, I don't know that whether our views on that would be surprising or not surprising to your listeners, but I thought it was interesting. And we got, we got there just in a little podcast, humble podcast about Rocky um, got all the way from Babylon to Muhammad Ali. So, awesome. um, so yeah, I encourage people to check that out. Uh, I know I realize someone on the internet talking about movies, not really, <laughs> all that exciting to just see that but but we're the best so uh can't beat that so give that so there's my plug i got it out of the way up front i'm sorry to be such a a crass (laughs) no that's great Uh, you know i'm interested too just with uh, most of my uh audience is going to be uh, of a christian background and there's the temptation for Christians, especially in today's world, as as you mentioned, we're living in an insane world that um, I think it's always been insane, but 
boy here recently we we've taken it to to some new levels mm-hmm. and the temptation is well that's all bad okay agreed so let's just run away um live under a rock and just watch civilization burn and not deal with it at all and yeah. what what would you be what would be your response to that type of mindset to just completely withdraw and not deal with the culture at all well you can't unless you have a rocket ship and you can breathe oxygen on Mars and your rocket ship will get you to Mars. You can't, you can only say that you can, Mm. but you can't escape culture because you can't escape yourself and you can't Mm. escape the air that you breathe and culture. Mm. That's all culture really is. That's all pop culture really is. It's just the air that you breathe. So I think Christians fall into a couple of basic errors when it comes to movies and entertainment. Uh, One thing is, they and, and this one was very popular back in the 80s and 90s when I was coming of age. They they draw a line in the sand. You know, they say we do not watch any R-rated movies in our house, or or we do not watch any movies made after the year 1970 in our house, or, or whatever it is. We we only watch public. St- and that can work to a degree. You can you can get rid of some bad stuff that way. And when you say leave the world, I think that's all it really ends up equating to is is mm. is people draw a line and they say everything on this side of the line is worldly everything on this side of the line is okay the problem with that again is the human heart and mm. the fact that we live in a fallen world and guess what there's lots of pg-13 movies that are filthy that mm. require discernment and there might even be some good R-rated ones, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. so, like, I grew up in kind of a homeschooling community, and, and people wouldn't give themselves to any new art. You know, I can remember a family that just didn't watch movies. Guess what? They had books of Renaissance paintings, and you could find naked ladies in those Renaissance painting books. And you could be enticed by the naked ladies in those Renaissance painting books. You can read the work of Homer, and it can... Fulfill your bloodlust. I'm not saying don't read Homer. I love Homer, but I'm just saying uh, wickedness is all around us. And Mm -hmm. what you have to do is actually have discernment. You can't just draw a line in the sand and say, well, okay, every, you know, everything's good on this side. Everything's bad on that side. If you just were to lock yourself in a bunker and it was just you and your spouse and your kids, there would be five sinners in that (laughs) bunker. And actually, unfortunately, you know, I mean, I can only really say this anecdotally, but I think it's true that a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of molestation, a lot of that sort of stuff actually springs up in very conservative communities where, 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 where they're just kind of creating their own little cult of the family or their own little cult of, of personality and, and they're, they're trying to shut themselves out from the world. But mm. if you think that that makes you holy, then it doesn't. And a lot of times mm. God's judgment on that can unfortunately be pretty severe. And people will think, I've removed all sexual mm. temptation. But then they still have the sexual temptation that's in their own heart. I mean, you can see this throughout Christian history in the monasteries. I mean, not to get into maybe a controversial subject, but you can, you can look through human history and you can see people try and shut themselves out from the world. And always, 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 they have their own human heart in there with them. So that's one error. 
that I, I, I've told you one of one out of three errors that I think people make. The second one that they make is they say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to just draw an arbitrary line in the sand. I'm going to have discernment. Okay, so far, so good. But then they fall into what I perhaps uncharitably think of as the gospel coalition error. <laughs> error. And the, the, the gospel, I, I, I like things that the gospel coalition publishes. Uh, don't uh, worry. But uh, one thing that can kind of happen with some of their pop culture stuff is it, it, they, they find a way to kind of baptize it a little bit. Like, like they'll say, Luke Skywalker is actually a type of Jesus Christ, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, And, yeah. you know, it's, he's a metaphor and it's like, A, I'm not sure that George Lucas would actually agree with you on that. B, God made the world and he built a lot of Christian typology into the mm -hmm. world. It turns out you'd be hard pressed not to find a metaphor for Jesus. And like, here we are, we're talking, you're, you're a counselor. You talk to people that makes you a little bit like the great physician, Jesus Christ, who came mm -hmm. to heal people. We can, we can think of a Christ-like metaphor for you. Does that necessarily mean that you're good? No. Uh, it just yeah. means we can, we can, no, I still have to use discernment about you and about your practice, right? But sure. it's, e it's easy enough to sort of baptize it and say, well, he's being like Jesus. And I, I find that people have a little bit of a cheap relationship sometimes with with movies and entertainment where they'll, they'll find these kinds of analogies between, you, you know, I mean, I don't know that anyone's ever actually, I'm sure people have done Luke Skywalker is Jesus, but I'll, I'll see things like that where they take a movie that is popular and they sort of find the Christian associations in it. And I think that that can be a little cheap sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third error. That's a corollary to the second error. And that's among people who are even more, conservative and maybe even to the right of something like the gospel coalition. And so, but they end up actually sort of doing the same thing, but they're just looking for different associations, d different typology. So they'll say, this is such a great movie about fatherhood. And it, it has fathers and sons relating to each other. And it's not that a movie can't teach us something about Jesus. It's not that a movie can't teach us about fatherhood. It's not that I don't have movies that I respond to because I see great truth in them. It's just that you have to not think shallowly about these mm. things. Like you have to, you have to actually ask what are the filmmakers trying to say or the musicians or, you know, with any kind of art, um, does, you have to ask, does it matter whether they would agree with what I'm pulling out of here? Um, you have to ask, how are they saying it through cinema through visual language when it comes to movies. Um, and, th and those are the kinds of things that we try to answer on our podcast. And uh, we have a great fun time doing it. So subscribe today, listener sanity at the movies <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Man, you're good at this. <laughs> I, I, I think what you're saying though, is really, it's really important uh, particularly as Christians the temptation is, I mean, anybody that's grown up in church, here's the, the Sunday school answer. It's always Jesus. Yay. Right. Scott, Luke Skywalker's Jesus. Game over. No more thinking. Right. And there is a deeper level there, like you're saying. And 
what I'm about to draw, I'm not equating the medium of a movie, and I'm going to draw this to the way that we we read scripture. Um, again, mm-hmm. not the same things, but similarly, we can read scripture and, oh man, King David, I I see myself in him. Um, I'm just, I'm reading scripture. I'm reading those Psalms. I'm just like King David. And yeah. You there might be some truth to that. You may have some similarities in, in a phase of life, but you don't want to read yourself or your own shallow understanding into it. Like, what is scripture saying? What what is what is the meaning? Like, not my meaning, like what is the meaning here? Same thing yeah. in culture. We we don't want to be we just don't want to go at that shallow level, actually get underneath there, actually think about what's going on. And that takes some brain effort. It's not just it does eating the popcorn and, and going on with your life. Yeah, I remember early on when I was a little bit more abrasive. There are people who would say I'm abrasive on Twitter now, which I suppose we'll talk about at a certain yeah. point. But um, early on. Uh, this was around the time that the first Wonder Woman movie came out. And there was a lot of people going back and forth about the feminism in that movie. And there was a popular Christian sort of celebrity who said, who put out a tweet where he just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the theater and I'm going to eat my popcorn. And I'm, and I'm going to enjoy the movie. And I just thought of all the responses you could have. I mean, if you want to say, Guys, it's annoying that you're reading so much into this and making it's in this, it is such a, a a culture war when it's just a wonder if you want to do that and you think that you can do that. I might not agree with you, but that's an argument to just simply say, I'm going to intentionally disengage. That's not an argument. That's not mm-hmm. helpful. We need to be engaged. We don't get to shut off our brains as 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 Christians. I think what you say about you know use the example of King David, and it's like you can go to a sort of shallow church or hear a shallow sermon where someone will say effectively, you know, when we see the story of David and Goliath, it is just a story of overcoming a challenge. Now I think equal and opposite to that though, you can go to a church where they say they'll say when 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 you see the story of King David, remember, he's a type of Christ and so it's just this this sort of theological point. And meanwhile, everyone sitting in the pew is like, I know what a David and Goliath story is. It's the story <laughs> of overcoming a, a big challenge like you're going to tell me that the one thing that everybody, you know, sports teams, David and Goliath stories, like it's, you're going to tell me that's nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, actually, we need to have the discernment and not just run to, it's all allegory. And we, or re- just reduce it to an easy little self-help parable. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something more there that we need to see. And I think, that can be true of our preaching that we have those kinds of problems that we fall into shallow little ruts. And it can certainly be true of the way that we read culture and read pop culture and engage with different texts and different art and stuff like that. So what we always say about our podcasts is we don't want to teach people what to think necessarily. We want to teach them how to think. We want to teach them how to be engaged and how to actually be critically thinking about things. And unfortunately, not that I'm necessarily any better than anyone else, but uh, critical thinking is in short supply these days. So 
you just have to you just have to learn how to do it and and that's something that i constantly harp on on the podcast that i i don't like to take some of the the quick pot shots on the left not that they can't be fun i understand the temptation um Mm -hmm. of did you see what AOC said? Whoa, Bernie's crazy. Like, I, I get it. And don't get me long, wrong. I, there's times I laugh at that stuff, too. But again, that's it's shallow. There, there's not much meat there. I I find myself criticizing much more on the right, not because I agree more with the left than the right. No, like there's very little I agree with the left on pretty much anything. But the shallowness, the shallow response, the quick like, um, we're just going to fix this. We're going to vote for this next president. And it's all going to be gone. We're, we're, we're good to go. Like, no, <laughs> this is so much deeper than that. And, and two, seeing the, um, the giving up part of, oh, it doesn't matter who we vote for. So uh, mm-hmm. what's the point? And I'm sitting there looking at my kids and like, well, that's the point. Like, I, I, I want my kids to have something to grow for. And I'm I'm going to invest in them and invest in my family, including some of the politicians I vote for. But it's much more than that. We can't yeah. just be at that surface level. We got to be in it. If you want to fight, then you need to be in it for the long haul. And that's not just at the voting box. It's mm-hmm. it's your life, your your life in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, it, you you alerted alluded to this earlier, so I'm I'm actually really curious on this because I uh, I've kind of been on the outside looking in of uh, this fun little uh, uh, Twitter issue that um, yeah I'm sure wasn't as fun for you um, being in the middle yeah. of it. So um, most people listening to this probably don't know what we're talking about. So could, would you mind kind of setting the scene of this particular viral tweet and I guess kind of a series of viral tweets um, and yeah, what what happened? What what was the issue here? Well, the reason that you're having me on is because I had a couple of tweets go viral recently and Twitter leftist sort of atheist Twitter mob came after me and you know, I sort of went through being canceled or whatever you want to call it. But actually there's another story that you should hear first if you don't mind because this yeah, has actually please. happened to me before on a much larger scale. This more recent one, the one that you saw was relatively small, actually, compared to the time that they really came after me, which was several years ago now. I think I want to say it was around 2016. So we were just getting our uh, website, Warhorn Media, up and running. I think it had only been online for a few months. And Star Wars Force Awakens had come out. I think that that was uh, 2015 that that movie mm-hmm. came out, if I'm remembering correctly. And I wrote a little article called, should I say the name of the article? Do I want people to find this? Sure. And so it's, it's called Open Letter to Ray. I'm not proud of anything in, in necessarily in the way that the article was written, but it was an article attacking the sort of girl boss feminism Mm -hmm. of the first star Wars, the first of the new trilogy of star Wars movies where, where Ray is just this perfect character Mm -hmm. with no flaws. And 
it was written sort of in a, I guess you'd say like a humorous kind of a way. It was written to the character of Ray. It was like, dear Ray, I don't think you're behaving in a feminine manner. Actually, this is not how biology works. You could not simply beat up all these guys. And this is not biblical femininity. And uh, I'm also going, I'm also addressing this letter to Sarah Connor and to, uh, you know, all, all these kinds of archetypical warrior okay. women. So uh, it's uh, at least in the sort of more conservative circles that I run in there beating up on the idea of war warrior women at this time at this point is a pretty old like on our movie podcast sometimes we don't even mention it because it's just so like yep there's another annoying warrior woman character in this movie what do you want me to say about it it's just constant but it felt a little bit more like something that was worth responding to at the time and of course it's always worth responding to but it felt like less of a graze wood lot in in terms of saying something on the internet. So I wrote this article and published it. And like I said, we weren't a big thing at the time. Not that we're huge now, but you know, we had only just launched a few months ago. And this article went out and my friends, my family, people in our church and some other people that were aware of us saw the article and then it went away. Like it, that was the end of the story. And once again, it's important to understand just basic biblical and biological facts about sex in this article, but but all couched in kind of this cutesy pop culture discourse kind of thing, and and really showing off how pop culturally savvy I was. Like I was making deep cut references to to movies and stuff like that, and nothing would have come of it except for it's the internet, and so somehow I'll never know exactly how, but this. Star Trek writer of all things gets gets the article, publishes it on Facebook, hmm. and says, "Wow, look at this misogynist dinosaur! Isn't it crazy that people still think like this?" And it was insane. It was absolutely crazy. One of the crazier things that's ever happened to me. What happened next? It was so much bigger than than what you presumably observed in the second one, which, which we'll get to, I'm sorry, but but you wanted to hear about this sort of thing and this is the really exciting one. So we, we were getting hundreds, if not thousands of tweets for, for our company account, for my personal account, for my pastor's account. We were getting hundreds of malicious login attempts to our website per day, which by the way, at the time, I think my password was like password one, two, three, because in terms of tech usage, I'm a thousand years old. And so I felt pretty stupid when we were getting all these malicious login attempts. I was getting, I, I want to be careful not to overhype it because in both of these cases, I, you know, I wasn't swatted. I don't know that anyone actually meant me real physical harm, but they're certainly saying things like you should die. Sure. And what, what the, the cute thing that they liked to do in, in this in this case was they'd find pictures of, if you're familiar with the biblical story of jail, putting the tent peg through the guy's head mm -hmm. in the book of Judges. Or if you're familiar with the apocryphal story of Judith cutting off a dude's head, kind of a similar story uh, in the apocrypha, people would post those pictures and they would either say, this is biblical femininity, bro, or they would say, this should happen to you. And there were a lot of funny ones. 
I, I really think, and, and we'll talk about the more recent one here in a minute, I assume, but people, discourse has gone downhill even in a few years. People were pretty funny in the way that they made fun of me. It hurt, but they, 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 they were creative. They were colorful. They would say things like Daisy Ridley, who played Ray, of course. Daisy Ridley should bench press this fool into the sun and all this kinds of stuff. The, the other thing is somewhere in that article, I made a terrible mistake. I wrote the words... As men, we have bodies crafted for war. Now, I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger now, but especially back then, I had a neck beard. I was pretty severely, morbidly obese, and there were some really bad pictures of me online. So people found those pictures, and, and they just had a field day mm -hmm. with, oh, body crafted for war. Yeah, it looks like you've got a body crafted for lasagna, stuff like this. And, you know, you've got a body crafted for Golden Corral or crafted <laughs> from Golden Corral, you know, and I, I, I've gotten in much better shape and that, since then. And that was one of the, the impetuses behind that because I was embarrassed. I mean, they got me right. Uh, wasn't nice, but they had a point like, <laughs> and, and, but it was insane. It was just days of. I, I, I meant to look up the stats because I don't remember them, but, but, but I didn't get a chance to look them up before we talked. But it was, I mean, remember, we're nobodies. We're nobodies. And our website was getting hundreds of thousands of hits. This article was huge. And it's just like every time you check into Twitter or Facebook or any of the social media that either I or Warhorn Media were using at the time, it would just be like brrr, more stuff and just people going insane. And you can find articles. To this day, you could probably Google Nathan Alberson. You can find old blog posts. You know, Nathan Alberson, misogynist dinosaur. Nathan Alberson doesn't understand women. Nathan Alberson. And I was working not for Warhorn Media at the time. I am now a full-time employee, but we, we didn't have the money for full-time employees back then. So I was working a job. I was, I was a supervisor at a call center. And the th one thing that I had been very bad about was sharing the faith at that call center. I was much more of an internet warrior and not much of a, a real-life talker at the time. And so I received a good a bit of discipline from God in that in that this article got to my workplace and people who didn't even know that I was a Christian suddenly were confronted with this. And the way that I found out is I went into work or I, I worked a full day and then the night shift lady came in and she was going to take over. And I said, hey, Barbara, we'll call her Barbara. Hey, Barbara, how are you doing? And Barbara said, Nathan, I saw some very interesting things that you put on the Internet. And I was like, oh, yeah, very interesting things, Nathan. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we could talk. Nope. They were very interesting things. And then nobody at work really talked to me about it, but I knew they had all seen it and they were all talking about it because suddenly everybody was treating me differently, particularly the women. And I actually did walk in and there was, there was a, a girl who worked there and she was a vegan sort of Buddhist, exactly the kind of person that would be the most triggered by this article. And I, I, I was like, hey, how are you doing, Alexis? And she said, Nathan, I saw your article. And I said, oh, well, you know, 
I'm actually much more complicated than you would think from just reading that article. Would you like to talk about that? And she kind of shook her head and said, I don't think you'd be interested in hearing what I have to say and walked away. And there were several relationships like that, that I just never recovered. And so I had my work place intersect with this in a way that I did not expect. And then I found out years later, actually, I found out, I did not know this at the time, but my work was talking about whether they should fire me. And they convened a meeting where I was in Bloomington, Indiana at the time. They actually, there were, there were managers that drove in to Indianapolis where they had their other headquarters. So people drove two hours or, or three hours just to get to this meeting where they could talk about what are we going to do about Nathan, the sexist, misogynist threat in the workplace. And I love all the stories in the Bible about like uh, Daniel and his three friends in Babylon where they don't want to eat the rich food and they've got like a, a middle manager basically they've they've got the guy that's in charge of the food food and he sticks up for them I, I love any story where there's like a pagan used by god to help god's people somebody who is sympathetic to god's people in any case i had a manager that was like that and he was at this meeting and he liked me and he he knew that i did a good job at my work so they're all going back and forth for like an hour, like, what do we do about Nathan? Should we fire him? Do we have just cause? And he finally says, guys, if, if Nathan had acted on any of these things that we suspect, like if, if Nathan was a horrible sexist in the workplace, if Nathan was nasty to women in the workplace, if, if any of this had actually created anything, then and made Nathan anything less than a model employee, then we could fire him. But this is just something that Nathan said on the internet. It, it doesn't affect anything about this job. Is Nathan not allowed to post whatever he wants on the internet? And this was a new thought to them. Like they, Hmm. they went round and round and round and round and round. And they were like, Oh, Oh yeah, I guess you're right. It it hasn't like, we don't, we, we, we never thought of Nathan as a sexist. I'm not in fact a sexist. I'm happy to work with women in the workplace. I'm happy to have them over me and under me. And I, I mean, it's just like it, the thing that they were assuming, the things that they were assuming about me based on this article just weren't true. Um, and, and so they were like, huh, we didn't think about it. We, we never thought about that. And so they let me keep my job. And I only found out about that like years later, but that was crazy. The amount of hate, the amount of people just saying you should die. People saying, you know, like pictures of heads being cut off, like an old painting of Judith cutting off the general, whatever's head and people saying this should happen to you. Like the idea that it is surreal to be that hated. Like you don't know me. You've never met me. You have no idea who I am. And yet I represent everything that is evil to you. Everything that deserves to be destroyed to you. That is a very, very strange feeling. Hmm. And I mean, I assume we'll talk about what I learned, but, but one thing 
that I very quickly learned is it hurts. And you might think it wouldn't. And, and actually, I sort of thought that it wouldn't. Maybe you think it would. Maybe you think it wouldn't. But it really hurts when strangers are saying you're ugly and you're fat and you deserve to die and you represent a horrible outdated. It, it's like you'd, I sort of thought it wouldn't hurt because whatever, they don't know me and I don't know them. They, 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 they're not actually mad at me. They're mad at an idea that they have about me. Like people that know me in real life, even pe- people that disagree with me strenuously don't want me to die and don't think mm-hmm. that I'm an ugly troll. So why should I be hurt by the internet? This vague, like these, these names and these fake names and number, you know, these profile pictures, they don't like me. Who cares? Well, I cared. It hurt. They really, really, really felt bad. And so it took a long time for our website to recover from the negative reviews that we got in various places where you can review websites. We had to pull, I, I was basically our, our ministry is, was, is, and what wasn't is a ministry of that local church and which has now planted the church that I'm working for. But be that as it may, like I was a youth or I, uh, what was I? I was a small group leader at the time. They had to pull my picture. They had to mm-hmm. pull my phone number. I, again, I don't want to overhype it. I'm not sure my life was actually in danger or anything like that, but it's just crazy knowing that there's like hundreds, if not thousands of people out there that hate you. And that mm-hmm. was the first one that happened. And that was uh, however many years, I think it was 2016. So that was almost a decade now, but that was my biggest time actually putting up with this kind of thing. Wow. I, I yeah, I, I, I had no idea about that one. Um, I, but before we get into this more recent one, um, yeah. some some people may uh, may know this, may may not. I'm not going to equate this near to Nathan's uh, stage. This is, this was a very localized fire that I dealt with um, back in December. So I share this example in part one. Yeah, I mean, I know yours went kind of more uh, just it wasn't just a small area and went bigger, but typically you, you don't think of Indiana as like, Oh, well there there's where all the liberals live. Not that mm-hmm. I'm sure there are plenty that are there, but you think of California or Oregon or whatever, right. um, rural Oklahoma. That's not where you think of <laughs> like that. <laughs> you, you think it is, you know, God's country. There's no, no liberals, no, nothing. Uh, you, you can just say or do whatever you want. Well, and this might get into a discussion later of some other things that you've learned. Um, I made this blog post and also a uh, a video. Now, mind you, um, I actually stand by all the content of what I said. Um, it mm-hmm. was basically attacking uh, pronoun usage and um, just really kind of the gender ideology, transgender type of movement. I I. Did not, and I will not apologize for for that content whatsoever. And I know that's really at the heart of why people got upset, um, because you're not supposed to say those things, um, right. p- particularly as a counselor. Like you're supposed to gender affirm and all that stuff. Well, I'm kind of like in your shoes there. Um, I'm I'm just a nobody. I just started Truth and Grace Counseling. Like I, it was brand spanking new, 
and some local activist um, about 30 minutes away from me in a little bit of a bigger town, like 100,000. They got a hold of that and they, they weren't too uh, they weren't too fond of that. And uh, you can see the rainbows on their profile pictures and two spirited and, you know, that you kind of knew who you, you were dealing with. And something that I learned from that, again, not apologizing for the content or the um the message behind it. Mm -hmm. But I realized, especially if I'm going to put my name on something, um, I, I need to go down for something that I really believe in. Um, because this blog post and video, like it had like Elon Musk on it. It was right when he took over Twitter and, um, it was, it was, it was cutesy. Um, kind of like, like yours was, it was not meant to be taken as super serious. Um, I said something in there, uh, that's kind of reminded me of men built for war that, uh, said something like I clearly a masculine male can say I'm a female or whatever. And Mm -hmm. again, it was meant kind of tongue in cheek. Um, and, I take things sarcastically, and of course, the internet doesn't uh, doesn't always do a good job of that. Um, right. So, anyways, there's some of these local activists. They are ticked. You should lose your license. All that good stuff. Um, so, I ended up uh, tweaking the uh, the blog post. It's still up there, but it's very much more clinical type of language. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one I would not apologize for. That one, right. I think the structure is good. Um, if that makes me lose my license, then please take it. I, I don't want it at that that point. Um, but I learned that, like, if I'm going to do some of these things, um, I'm. I don't know when, if or when something might take off. But if it does, am I going to stand behind it? Am I going to? I know I can't be perfect on everything, but right. I need to be cautious with the structure of how things are, um, because. I know that may not be why they're going to hate it, but they're going to use it against me. Yeah, And I'm wondering with you, particularly on this first one with that first article, which you had no idea was going to go to that degree. Do you kind of feel similarly that, Hey, I could have structured this differently. Like what, what kind of your postmortem thoughts on the article itself? What, what did you learn from that? Well, I certainly learned that one of the weird things about the internet is that it's for everybody unless you, Well, I thought I was writing to my audience and I was Mm -hmm. writing to my audience. I wasn't writing primarily a piece meant to proselytize or to explain something to someone who didn't already agree with Mm -hmm. me. It was basically just the I hope the good kind of preaching to the choir like, hey, guys, like, let's let's remember that we have the truth on their side. Now, that being said. Well, A, that being said, that's not what happened. A bunch of people that had no context for it got a hold of it. And that is just one of the weird things about social media mm-hmm. and about the internet. And one of the, I don't want to say necessarily a bad thing, but just you just always have to remember you don't, if you're writing for your Aunt Bertha, your old biology teacher might also see it. And your old yeah. biology and teacher and Aunt Bertha would never naturally talk to each other mm-hmm. and, or be in the same space. You would not sell them an idea the same way, but they might, if you just post something on Facebook, they're both there. If you just post something on TikTok or whatever the kids are using these days, they they might both see it. For some reason, your old biology teacher is on TikTok in this analogy. So that was, that was good. Now, on the other hand, I think I sort of learned, I always thought that I was the kind of person that could structure things in such a way that pagans would like them, that I could reach people by 
meeting them halfway by being really savvy about my approach by showing that I was one of them. So I think in my mind, what I thought is, well, when people read this article, they'll see all the references. They'll see that I'm a movie guy, that I'm a pop culture guy. Actually, I'm a better pop culture guy than they are. I know more references than they do. And and somehow having that stuff in there will perfume anything that they don't like. And it turns out in 2 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ to God, uh, um, to the among those who are being saved, and for those who are being who are perishing, we are the aroma of death. We people didn't care about any of my cutesy stuff. They didn't care about any of my meeting them halfway. They didn't care about mm. any of that. All they smelled was the aroma of death. All they sensed was. God's judgment. I mean, if you read Romans 1 and you see that everyone has the truth of God somewhere written on their heart and people live in rebellion against that and people felt violated. They felt slapped in the face by me standing for God's truth. I mean, they took it really personally and it just didn't matter. I mean, if anybody, let me just be self-aggrandizing for a second. If anybody was going to be able to Say, hey guys, we all speak the same language, but I but I want to kind of sneak some truth into my speaking, my speaking of the same language. I would have been able to do it. I mean, I was such a pop culture guy, such a movie guy, and I really tried to do it, and it did not work. So am I therefore arguing that somebody listening to this should go to their workplace and just set themselves on fire and say everything is terribly as possible. And if they see someone who has pronouns in their bio, they should tell that person, you know, they're going to help. No, 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 no. none of that. We need to be wise. We need to be discerning. We need to be kind. We need to be gentle. These are all real things, but we should, as we do that, we do need to remember that Christ said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. And the apostle Paul said, we're the aroma of death to people that are perishing. And so, I will talk to young people, young men in particular, you know, I, my, my beat is pop culture. So I'll talk to young men who are like, I've, I've got to see the late, latest Quentin Tarantino movie or whatever, because then I can talk to people and, and we can have a dialogue and then I can share Jesus with them. And I, I was just like, dude, if you're not sharing Jesus with them now, you're not going to suddenly have the courage because you've accumulated some, some points with Quentin Tarantino. And I'm just here to tell you, like the second you bring God's law into it, they ain't going to be impressed that, you know, you're Quentin Tarantino. They're just not by, I realize I'm wildly generalizing here, but it has been my experience that at some point we just have to tell the truth to people. And again, I want to be very clear. That does not mean we have license to just be jerks. It does not mean we carry God hates fags signs uh, like, like that church did. That, that was, that was evil. That was, that yeah. was mean spirited, cruel. Uh, we do not do that. But on, on the other hand, again, we, we can't just sort of, uh, we, we can't create like a, a camouflage that'll let us sneak the truth into mm-hmm. the camp. I, I, I really wanted to do that. I, I really resented growing up in a conservative, like I said, homeschool community where people just hated pop culture as a matter of course. And and I wanted to be the guy that could 
you know, marry those two things. And it's not, you know, I, I now do a movie podcast and other things for a living. So I, I guess in some sense I did, but you, you can't do subterfuge truth. It just, it doesn't work that way. So I don't know if that even answers your question. No, but. I, I, th I think it's a great, uh, yeah, it's a great food for thought there that again, that discernment, that wisdom needs to be there. I, I think that's something that I really learned in my own little small journey. And I, I'm actually really grateful um, that that happened to the degree that it did because it was a very small, like it, it was ugly. Um, yeah. But we're talking dozens of people, dozens of pretty miserable people. Um, yeah. And it stayed there. And I was actually really grateful it was that size instead of the hundreds, thousands um, that I mean, you, you learned a lot, but that that's yeah. a whole lot more intensive. And I was very grateful that it didn't get get to that degree. Well, now, I should say before we I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. I, I should say before we get too far afield, I think your listeners will already be able to hear that there are things I regret about the way that I wrote that article that, you know, as long as I'm going to like you said, as long as I'm going to go down, I might as well go down for something good and for something that really yeah. represents and for something that's not just like sort of casually tossing things off. I, I do think it would have been better if my article was structured and strategic and kind and good in a way that it perhaps wasn't. Uh, if I had brought more mature to, maturity to it, I just don't think that that necessarily would have made a difference to yeah. my critics, as we'll call them. Um, but yes. it made a difference to me. It made And it made a difference to the Christians that were watching me. And it would have made, you know, it's it's always better to <laughs> do well than to do poorly. Sure. Um, so but, yeah. Anyway, but but point saying. taken there that yeah, if you had the perfect article and it was just structured beautifully, they're still gonna hate you. <laughs> like that. That's just the reality that you have to get to. That they hate you because they hate God. And yeah, you have yeah. To and I think a lot of people want to avoid that truth because it's not a very pleasant truth, and mm -hmm. and because they like things, you know. If it's, if you're a movie guy, it's like, well, maybe I can use my movie lore to reach somebody, or and you know, yeah, you could make friends with somebody and go see a movie. There are there are ways you could do it, but you're you're not going to ever escape from just having to actually stand with Jesus for Jesus and for obedience to Jesus and. People aren't going to like that necessarily. Yeah, no, I, th I think that is a truth that we have to we have to know and be willing to deal with that up up front. Now, not everyone's going to have a viral article or whatever, but you you might have a family member that hates you. You, you might have a mm -hmm. coworker, and that's hard too. And, and yeah, you, you have to come to terms with that. There's no, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier of just with stuff and culture. There's no quick. Jesus answer. That's just going to get you through that. Uh, yeah. You, you got to go deeper and there's, yeah. there's no out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got to use your mind. Got to have the Holy spirit working in your heart. I, I think this transitions well, and I'm curious of with kind of this context of this past bigger experience into this one that happened just a few months ago or when, yeah. whatever it was. Um, so yeah, kind of tell us about this latest Twitter adventure that you had. Well, okay. So I was off of Twitter. I did not actually get off of Twitter then, but Twitter became increasingly an unpleasant place, uh, especially for somebody like me. And I don't love social media. I don't have a 
intrinsic philosophical problem with social media, which which we can talk about at some point if you want. But I I have no reason particularly to be on social media. I'm just you know I don't know whether I'm a millennial or Gen X or whatever, but I'm I'm just past the age of really needing to use it for not my job. But yeah. um, that maybe that's not true. I don't know. But in, in any case, I. I was off of Twitter for several years because, and then, and then I thought, you know, I work for a social media company. It is my job to promote these podcasts? It is my job to promote these things. I should be on Twitter, especially with Elon taking it over. It felt like there was going to be more space and less censorship. And I just liked what he was. I don't love everything that Elon does or everything that he's done with Twitter, but I liked, I thought I felt like the algorithm was kinder um, in, in terms of people actually even seeing my stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to get back on and I'm going to start using this. And this was only maybe less than a year ago. I got on there and started tweeting again. And I pre-programmed my tweets and I write them in advance and, you know, maybe spend an afternoon. Uh, what are some nuggets of wisdom? What are some provocative things? What are some funny things? I mean, I have files of, uh, I've been doing creative content work for a long time. So I have files of jokes and files of insights and stuff like that. I, I'm the kind of guy that organizes things into not actual notebooks, but digital notebooks. So I just grab yeah. stuff and I, I tweet it and I'm not going to pretend like there's always great discernment in that like I, I want there to be, but also it's like, I've got an afternoon. I need to make this intentionally grabby and sort of a little bit provocative, but also not too much. And, you know, I'm always trying to walk that line anyway, with all that as a mea culpa, cause you know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking like your listeners might be like, well, he had this one experience. So how could he be dumb enough to have, <laughs> have a second one? <laughs> But anyway, I wrote these tweets that got me in some hot water. And the first one tells a literal truth in a provocative way. So when I was getting married, I had a list of four things that I was looking for. And I wanted somebody that I was attracted to, obviously. I, anyone who tells you they don't want that is selling something to quote the princess bride. Um, I wanted someone who believed in biblical femininity, someone who would, who understood that I was looking for an Ephesians five wife, that she wouldn't be surprised by the word obedience or anything like that. Again, if you're a biblical Christian, that's, that's, that's obvious. Um, I wanted somebody who was willing to learn and grow and be teachable. That's, what I always look for if I'm hiring an employee, if I'm choosing a friend, like you don't want somebody that's the best version of themselves that they'll ever be because that, that person's not going anywhere. They're stuck. They're proud. You want somebody that is interested in growth and change and becoming better. You want somebody with the humility to see their own flaws. Like that's just like, why would you hang out with anyone else if you had a choice? Right. Um, so those were the kind of the things that I had in mind when I when I hit the dating scene and I thought, hey, I'll do a tweet about that. And then I admittedly, and perhaps wisely, perhaps unwisely, I don't know, but I I wrote it in a way that's more provocative, I think, than what I just said. I, I'll just read the tweet. 
the tweet is, quote, when I started looking for a wife, I wanted one who was pretty, who would be obedient and teachable, who thought I was funny. Oh, yeah. I also thought that I should marry somebody who thought I was funny, which might sound sort of proud and self-aggrandizing, but it's like, what do you want me to do? Marry somebody who doesn't think I'm funny? You want me to be miserable as a, like, all I do is make jokes. That's like, that's that's my personality. <laughs> if I marry somebody who doesn't like my jokes, I'm just going to be sad. So, you know, if there's no, if all the women on, there's not enough women and I have to choose one and there's one with godly characteristics who doesn't think I'm funny, of course I'll marry her. But if there's enough fish in the sea, well, why not find somebody who is going to appreciate my sense of humor? I mean, come on. Um, I mean, I actually had a friend say to me, well, Nathan, you shouldn't look for someone who thinks you're funny. Whatever. Let's not over-spiritualize this, dude. Uh, Actually, I was with a pastor at the time, and he said said to my friend, hey, whatever. Let's not over-spiritualize this, dude. Um, So anyway, I wrote the following tweet. Quote, when I started looking for a wife, I wanted one who was pretty, who would be obedient and teachable, who thought I was funny. I felt embarrassed by that list. And in some ways, I'm tempted to feel embarrassed by that list, but I shouldn't. Those are good things to want. Now, I just, before even reading the tweet, unquote, by the way, I gave you a little window into my thought process about actually getting married and to some of the tension and neuroses that I felt about that thought process. Like, hey, babe, I'm hoping you will obey me. You know, <laughs> who wants to who wants to be that guy? Uh, but, you know, I would encourage young men who are looking for wives to look for things like that to look for a godly woman and so that's all i really meant but i did word it in a provocative way and then around that same time i wrote another tweet which i don't really feel bad about this one i don't know it says you can spot a rebellious woman read feminist just by the way she walks and dances and stands and goes through doorways her body language always says quote i don't need anybody unquote it's very unattractive now you cannot always spot a rebellious woman by the way that she goes through doorways. I am well aware of that. However, in this medium of pithiness that we call Twitter, you engage in hyperbole as a matter of course. Hyperbole is a good rhetorical strategy sometimes, or at least a venerable one. And I was engaging in hyperbole, which if anyone doesn't know, that just means exaggeration. So I'm making a point. I'm saying you can kind of tell who hates God just by looking at them, mm-hmm. which is true if you have eyes to see. Um, not always true, not 100% true. Certainly sure. there's many nice, lovely, wonderful pagans out there um, who I believe will go to hell if they don't repent and believe in Jesus, but they're they're cool to hang out with. Um, I'm well aware of that. In any case, I sent this tweet. And... I, again, I'm not sure how these things work, but somehow, in this case, I think I am. I think that there is a person who is online who simply looks for tweets like this hmm. to show to the mob and to try and get, like, like, like it's, it's in the Frankenstein movie, it's like the little boy or the woman or somebody that's, or in the French Revolution movie, the person that's running ahead and says, hey, mob, come this way. There's the monster. Get him. Bring your torches and pitchforks and stuff. So somebody found these tweets. They tweeted them. Again, most of my audience is conservative, is Christian, isn't going to be super surprised by any of this. Maybe some of it they'll think is provocative. Maybe some of it they won't. But 
by these tweets had already gone by they'd gotten whatever likes and retweets and all that that they were going to get and then this mob found them and descended on me like i said it wasn't anything like as bad as the other one this one probably lasted for a little over a weekend but they were mocking those tweets i will say interestingly you heard me say earlier that people were pretty colorful and funny in the way that they made fun of me the first time I don't know if discourse has changed or if I just attracted the wrong kinds of people this time, but it was all very boring and repetitive and just made me feel like, man, when people hate God and they hate God's truth, it just sort of saps them dry. Or maybe we could make some grandiose statement about internet culture and where it's taking us. I don't know. But the the point is it was really boring. It was just like the same stuff so for the doorway one you know people would say like uh, make jokes about going through doorways and you know just kind of do the most literal reading and then mock the most literal reading as if that's a valid criticism and for the for the wife one they they really centered in on the word teachable and they said nathan what you're really looking for is a dog and i got pictures of dogs and oh hundreds of dog tweets but then I did also get, you should die. And I got people talking about, can we call CPS on this guy? Which is pretty disturbing. I mean, I don't know why. A, if you met me and my wife, we're not, we wouldn't strike you as normal or provocative or anything, but just a boring married couple. Pretty happy one, I think, by God's grace. Um, you don't know me, but somehow you've extrapolated from this obviously intentionally provocative tweet like even assuming the worst of the tweet you've decided you need to uh you know have my house and my children to it's just kind of awful um so again i'm i'm hesitant to overhype these things i'm hesitant to say persecution although i suppose that word does apply to these instances but but in this particular case that felt like persecution that felt pretty nasty. Like the whole CPS thing. It's like, mm. come on guys. Like you disagree with somebody. They, and so you want to like, think of a way to destroy his life. So that felt nasty. Now the fun part about this is that JK Rowling actually got a hold of the walking through the door tweet. And she responded to it in a, in a, I want to say compared to most of my critics, uh, a pretty classy way. For one thing, she took a screenshot and she removed my name. So she didn't send anyone else after me, which is really nice. And she did not have to do that. She could have wielded her power to send a much larger mob after me. And maybe I'd be saying, this is the worst one that's ever happened to me, but she did not do that. And she actually had a pretty funny response. Uh, you know, remember I say, you can tell a feminist by the way she walks through the door and it's not very attractive. And so JK Rowling says sarcastically quote, you may scoff, but my own husband's interest in me was first awakened by walking me, watching me ricochet haphazardly off a door frame for half an hour before he came to assist me. So that's, that's a pretty sick burn, you know, <laughs> and it is making fun of what's hyperbolic about my tweet. Obviously, uh, demure women know how to make it through a door just as well as uh harpies so uh you got me jk rowling good job <laughs> that, that was fun i mean i will always have that i will always be able to say that jk rowling 
made fun of one of my tweets, which is which is pretty great. She did a what do you call it a a, a Davra Cadavra? What's the killing curse in Harry Potter? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, she's not a part of Harry Potter anymore, so she can't do any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Talk about a woman who's experienced cancel culture. Poor <laughs> right. J.K. Rowling. I like J.K. Rowling. I like uh, I like Harry Potter just fine, although it was a little after, slightly after my time. I remember the younger kids reading it, and I, I read it and I enjoyed it. But in any case, super fun to have been attacked and attacked fairly successfully by J.K. Rowling herself. Now, the other maybe interesting point of comparison just uh, before I'm done with this part of the story is something has either shifted in, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know whether I can make any broad statements about culture or about about my standing or about anything else. I don't know why this happened. But the first time with the open letter to Ray, the really big one, the thing that was actually most disheartening was that nobody defended me. Nobody stepped in in between me and the mob. Nobody. And I do mean nobody. I had people reach out privately and say, I'm sorry you are experiencing this. But nobody who wasn't a workmate or somebody that was part of our organization did anything. And I think, I mean, if I was going to make a, a statement about this, I'd say, I don't know, maybe we just all have more handles for what cancel culture is. We have a, the term cancel culture. We know the mob goes after people and we don't like it by and large. It's just people don't like when they see this is happening now and, and they see the flimsiness of it. I don't know. In any case, this time, lots of people on Twitter did stand up for me and argue with people. It's pretty senseless trying to argue with a Twitter mob, like like a real mob. All they want to do is destroy. They don't want to hear arguments. They don't care. They're not interested, but I mean, even assuming the best about them, they're not interested. Like there's just, that's not what they're there for. But in any case, lots of people actually stood up for me. I felt much less alone. I felt very lonely the first time I kind of had that existential feeling that, I mean, this is way too grandiose of a metaphor, but, um, you know, Elijah, when he's hiding out in the caves and he says, I'm the only one left to serve you, God. And God says, no, actually, there's whatever the number is. There's lots of other people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Well, the first time I sort of felt like I was the only one who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal, which is, which is mm-hmm. again, way too self-aggrandizing of a metaphor. But I did feel pretty lonely. This time I did not. So that was nice. And maybe that's one of the reasons I'm saying that the first one felt so much worse. But in any that, case, that's, that's the the story. That that's interesting. There on that second or that last part, um, I, I think that's probably a bit of encouragement for audience out there that's concerned. And I, I know, like you said, cancel culture is kind of a household term at this point. Of oh my gosh, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to lose my job. All that. Of course, that's still a concern. Um, right. uh, I'm not going to act like that doesn't happen to people. But it seems to have lost um, some of its just nastiness that absolutely nobody will be around me. There's enough people that are aware of it. And, and like you're saying that it's a, a nasty thing that, yeah, there's still danger, but you might be more likely to have people that are there on your side. Kind, kind of like your old boss that yeah. was like... But yeah, Nathan's not doing anything. Um, 
you have more of those people on the internet, but also in your real life to be able to stand up. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of nasty people on the other mm-hmm. side, but um, I do think that's a bit of encouragement, um, especially on Twitter, which, again, is not a perfect place, but it's better than it was a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Um, so as much as what we shared earlier of trying to craft your things online in a good manner. You you want things to be, you want to defend something that's good at the same hand, um, especially for these tweets, like what, I mean, are you going to proofread every single tweet? You know, like you you can't make every tweet a perfect thing. Um, So not living in an amount of fear of like, Oh my gosh, if I say, Men are men and women are women. I'm going to lose everything. Um, It could, I guess. I'm not going to say that's impossible, but self-censorship seems to be probably a bigger problem um, for many people than the actual censorship. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I think one thing that's probably changed is that there are many people, pagans, Christians, left, right, whatever, who are just tired of the monolithic nature of what happens in our mainstream media a lot of times, of of what seems to happen in the world. You know, it's just whether you agree with like when when you go to uh see Buzz Lightyear or whatever and there's there's a lesbian couple in there, whether whether you agree with that or you think it's horrible or anything in between it's annoying that they're pretending like there's no argument to be made there. Like they've just already won. And I uh, think in many ways, Donald Trump is not a good man, but one thing that did happen in 2016 that I think a lot of conservatives really appreciated was just having the feeling that, Oh, it's not a fate, fate complete. They have not just already won. There's still an argument to be had. And I'll I'll use my favorite phrase. We can still occupy space. Uh, (laughs) We don't have to just go and retreat to the hills yet. We can just still say, hey, I don't agree with trans stuff. And actually, I've got most of human history on my side. And there's no particular reason for me to feel weird about that. I don't have to be like aggressively angry about it on the other hand either. But like I, I can just assert that I'm the normal one. And I think that that has changed to some degree and it's been good. There's still a lot that's, I don't like this word very much. It's too overused. There's still a lot that's toxic about culture and about the nature of discourse these days. But I think a lot of people are just tired of what is toxic about it, which is a good thing. No, I I definitely think that is a, that's a good point that, Certainly in, in Christian circles, uh, truth is, well, if it's not, it, it needs to be at the top of your priority. We we, we need to fight for truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're seeing that in some of the culture at large, which is a very good thing. Not saying that everybody that's trying to fight for truth, uh, some of the transgender stuff and everything, not saying that they're all Christian, but mm-hmm. that does show that our culture kind of, they use this fight type of uh, uh language there it's not completely over that we've yeah. not completely lost all semblance of truth as much as that seems like is the case sometimes um 
God's given us enough grace that we're not done yet. So let's not mm-hmm. uh, let's not act like we are. And even if we are all the way done, like that's not our call. So just make make the best of the life you have in front of you. And if you're going to go down, um, go down swinging and go down with a mm-hmm. great story. Um, yeah. Don't go down just kind of cowering in fear. That that's we're all gonna die, but I'd I'd rather you die with a pretty cool story. You get to die with J.K. Rowling roasting you. That's yeah, pretty cool. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I I mean I think and in addition to everything you're saying, which is great, we just one of the ways that we quote unquote win is by simply asserting, hey. Look at me. I believe that a wife should submit to her husband. Now look at my marriage. It's mm. actually very recognizable. We're not yeah. monsters. My wife is not bowing to me. She's not calling me sir. I'm not beating her. Uh, she's she's very happy. She certainly tells me what she thinks, and she certainly puts her foot down and all kind of, like like look. We are in a in a complex dance that is a married relationship, and it's a complex dance that you could recognize and that your parents had and that you have if you're in a relationship. And I happen to believe something, and I happen to just be normal. And, and so I think many Christians just live in this kind of with a perpetual sort of chip on their shoulder, like they feel like they're odd, and so therefore they act odd and that's where you get some of the cosplaying christians that are like i believe that my my wife should submit so she's gonna wear a dress like she's from little house on the prairie and uh, you get people acting weird precisely because they kind of already feel defeated and so they're like okay well i guess i'm weird I'll, i'll own it i'm weird and it's like i think just strategically speaking it's better to say i have these beliefs that you guys are all acting like are weird but actually i'm just a dude look at me look at this it's not that weird we have kids we teach our kids to obey us our kids are happy whatever like uh, you know i I think i think that's really that's really important and it goes back to something you hit on earlier of unfortunately it and i don't have any stats on this but just anecdotally there seems to be too much too much smoke so there's probably fire of some of these more conservative more homeschool families which to to be you know transparent i'm conservative we're homeschooling our kids i'm not saying that's bad mm-hmm. um but particularly more old school where there there was some of that hush hush sexual abuse don't say anything uh, living in fear and it's just because oh we're doing the right thing by being conservative and homeschooling and then that's it like mm-hmm battles won that's all over and you're not actually living a joyful life you're not following god's commands you're just think you already want it and 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 you have it Mm -hmm. and that piece there again not saying that oh people see how great our kids are and our lives are well therefore they're going to come to jesus but it is some good evidence there of yeah like we're, we're not all monsters and right um I, I actually was thinking of this when you're talking earlier. I'd, I'd forgotten about it. I, I don't remember what you had posted. I, actually, it was something along the lines of about your views on on spanking of um, like, hey, 
great thing about spanking is you spank them and and, and it's over. You don't have to mm-hmm. make a big scene or whatever, which I thought was a great critique again on some of the far far right people that it's like, boy, I spank my kids fifty times a day. They're, they're going to learn to respect me, and uh, it's almost kind of that cosplay type of uh, mm-hmm. analogy you had there. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I said something along the lines of. And and it was like it was almost verbatim. Um, I tried to make it like a literal quote to my daughter that was acting up at the lunch table. And I wanted to eat my lunch like mm-hmm. I don't want to discipline you. And the thing that and and I said something like some of your friends were catching up with me because it, it was like a residual of some of the uh, the tweets that you got some of the haters. And I said something like, honey, I don't want to have to spank you. And that and it, I said it wasn't a threat, and legitimately it wasn't. It's was like I want to eat my lunch, right? <laughs> Just leave <laughs> yeah. me alone. Right. And they take that of, oh, you're abusing your daughter. She's going to grow up to hate you. Um, she's going to have all these scars and say, well, I need to be obedient. Just nonsense things. And not that I'm going to convince them of anything, but I do know that. I put my daughter to to go take a nap after that, and she says, "I love you," and she mm-hmm. hugs me, and that's great. Like, I, I don't have to prove that to anybody. Um, right. I have it. I know I'm not a perfect father, but I, I have this authentic, real relationship. And that's what you need to really invest in not trying to do things to win points, but do it because it's good. And that's going to exude from you exude from your kids exude from your wife. Um, don't try to win those internet points just to win internet points. It, it's not going to get you much. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely true. I mean, like I said, I'm doing internet stuff because it is the nature of my job, but uh, a lot of people that I see that are on there that are are just there to be a culture warrior. I mean, I just, I don't want to be too reductive about this. I think there can be some good things about that, but it's like, go outside, like smell the roses. Like, is there... Is this battle actually happening in your family, mm. in your extended family, in your workplace? Do you know anyone that represents the extreme negative point of view that you're fighting against? Or, or are you just fighting these weird abstract internet val- uh, battles and, and attracting the most trollish sort of opposition when instead you could be loving your neighbor and, and doing a hundred times more more good for the gospel? Again, I engage in culture polemic. I like many people that do. I am not totally against it, but I do see an immature version of it that's that's out there. Yeah. Uh, kind of get, getting towards just uh, wrapping things up here, just trying to get some mm-hmm. some takeaways. Yeah. For for the audience, what and especially with some of your experience, both in, in the podcasting world and kind of having the mob against you, what would you say are some kind of take a home, take home, some real practical things the audience could do to do what you're mentioning of, of engaging in the culture, but not just to fight these big wars and win internet tough, tough points or whatever. What are some practical ways that you can engage in the culture, um, but in a very healthy and biblical way? Well, I am a great believer in the local church and in real Christian community. There, is, I had an old pastor and mentor who used to say, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. 
And it is absolutely true. If you're just on the internet, guns a blazing, and then you don't go to church, I have no respect for you. Mm. If you can't actually partake of Christ's bride in a real localized way, if you don't have Christian friends, if you're not part of a real community, then you're, if you, if you can't do the 101 stuff, then why should I trust you to do the 300 level or the 400 level stuff? Like you, and if you're doing it without accountability, like the the good thing is I've been lucky enough or blessed enough to be in a job where I have a boss and he can say, no, Nathan, don't tweet that. Or that's too much. You know, people edited my article for better or worse. Maybe they, maybe at the end of the day, we look back and say, we didn't, we didn't catch everything, but I was part of a Christian community, which actually came directly out of my church. And there were people to encourage me. There were people to rebuke me. There were people to provide accountability. And you need that. And you need to not sort of give in to the cultural myth of found family and just surround yourself with the people that you like or the people that you feel like get you, the people that are going to tell you, no, that article is great. That, that tweet is great. You need to be part of a church where there's people with bad teeth and people of a different socioeconomic class than you and people with different backgrounds. The, the wonderful yeah. thing about a local body is that you're not actually going to like everybody. And, and there's going to be some of your rough edges will be worn off and some of their rough edges are, will be worn off. And God works through the church, uh, who is the great you know church father who said you cannot have God for your father without having the church for your mother. So this doesn't directly answer your question, but it is foundational. If, if, if someone is not interested in simply reading their Bible and simply loving their wife, loving their husband, taking care of their kids, going to church, I have zero interest in anything that they have to say mm. about the broader culture. None. I don't care what gifts they have of rhetoric, what gifts of insight, what gifts of discernment. If you cannot do the basic stuff, it's like if you go to a church and nobody's friendly, nobody shakes your hand, you're not going to go back there. It doesn't matter what their doctrine is like. Right. If they can't do kindness, then you really don't care what they say about uh, the sovereignty of God. Hmm. And it's not that the sovereignty of God isn't important. It's not that do doctrine isn't important, but if they can't do 101, you're not going to be real interested in their 400 level stuff. And, and so yeah. I think the most important thing that anyone can do is go to church and then sort of coming out of that, love their local community, love, mm -hmm. go to things, be part of things, have friends, have neighbors. Don't just be a, I'm not an anti-internet anti guy. I work. I literally get paid to work in new media. I'm a new media guy. I'm a podcaster for crying out loud. But but I'm but I'm I'm telling you, if your only thing is podcasts, listening to them, creating them, if you're just a content creator, then you're not living the life that God made you to live as as one of His body. You have to be part of the body, and you have to love the people where you're at. It, it may be much more important for your wife to bake that pie and then you both to trudge over to the family that just moved in and say, hey, we baked you a pie and it's an awkward, terrible conversation. And then you invite them to church and you feel stupid inviting them to church because you don't have like a good 
lead in. And if your wife is like my wife, then she's very upfront about it. And I'm like, ah, I still want to find a way to package it. But she's just like, you should come to our church. But doing that, so much more important than the most awesome tweet. You know, I mean, internet, I, I, I like the, again, uh, I don't want to sound defensive about this, but I, I like Twitter. I like these things, but they're designed to flatter you. They're designed to make you feel like you're getting likes and hits and they want you to get enough, ser- not so much serotonin that you're done. And I don't know how serotonin works. You, you probably do with your feel, but uh, just using the pop culture way that serotonin works, they, they want you to get enough serotonin that you don't give up and you're just happy, but enough that you keep coming back. So they want you to feel like you're getting engagement and like you're making a difference, but usually you're not. Um, So be part of life. That, that is the first thing. And then when you engage, when you do these things, do it with accountability, do it with discernment, do it with people who can tell you, no, that's dumb. Or no, you know what? Actually, it wouldn't be wise to go. Like uh, We know your work now has this policy about LGBT, but we actually think it's more important that you support your family right now than that you make a big statement and go down in flames at your workplace. Or we think, as your pastors and elders, we've prayed, we've thought, we've discerned, uh, we think you're actually in a really good position to take a stand right now. In other words, there's some strategy to this. It's not just like you're sinning if you don't say the truth here and you're successful if you say it here. Uh, There's some strategy. There's some discernment. There's some times of life that are better than others. There's some stations of life that are better than others to do things. So, And those are decisions that are really hard to make unilaterally. You need people who can hold you accountable. And then... Finally, I've learned that attention is addicting and negative attention is addictive too. Mm-hmm. For, for, for all of the times where I've had these mobs after me, there is a part of me that doesn't want to just block, that doesn't, just, that doesn't want it to go away. There is a part of me that's like gleeful about people knowing my name even when they're mm-hmm. hating it. There's a part of me that call it masochistic, but a part of me that's like, yeah, punch me. At least you're acknowledging that I'm alive. Uh, you know, uh, and, and that can be addictive and that can be hugely destructive. And, uh, you know, obviously we all see this on the internet all the time where people, um, where people just get addicted to negative attention and they, they keep, you know, being more and more provocative and being saying things in the most provocative way, being rhetorically unwise, just because not because they actually want to help people, but because they want to get attention. And when you're, Mm -hmm. when you become that person, you can inspire followers that way, but you won't actually be inspiring. You won't actually be giving them anything what you'll be doing is finding people whose essences you can drain kind of empirically. We've all probably worked for people like this uh, for a boss who it's actually about him and it's about what he can take from you instead of about him making you the best you that you can be for the company or whatever it is. Um, 
if you become the kind of person that just exists to provoke, that just exists for attention, then yeah, sure. Maybe God can use a random tweet or blog post or podcast or something that you do. God's in the business of using terrible things in his service, but you won't actually be helping anybody by and large. You'll just be sucking other people dry, just looking for followers, looking for, for proselytes. Um, and I'll say one other thing. I said that was my last one, but here's my absolute last one. Um, you you got to just be wise. I'll just, let me just say something about social media. You, you need to know what social media you're using, what it, what it exists to do, what works on it, what doesn't work, who's in charge of it. You can't go to Facebook and do the same thing that you can go to Twitter, that you can do to right. TikTok, that you can do to Instagram. They all exist for different purposes. They all have different algorithms. They all have different people uh, running them. And so I think actually the, the most useful way to think of them is I am walking into the town square and I want to make myself heard. So how many people are in this town square? Is it the kind of town square with a cork board where you can post, I want uh, guitar lessons, or is it the kind of place where you could get up on a, a soapbox and declaim your views and people will want to listen? Or is it the kind of place where if you do that, it'll just be noise and everyone will ignore you. You need to know who's the mayor of this town. What does he want? Why are people coming into the town square? What are they there to buy? What are they there to sell? What's just think of it that way. And I think it can kind of discipline you. Um, I mean, one of the reasons that I don't feel that bad about my provocative tweets is because I'm not actually on Twitter primarily to win people's hearts. I am there to advertise podcasts and things that I do, which I think are much more helpful than my tweets, things that I hope will be a help to people. I'm there primarily to attract conservative Christians to come and check out my stuff. And so... That's that's who my audience is. I, I I I'm using a brand that works for me as a whatever I am, a millennial Gen Xer, uh, one that was designed for my kind of people with my frame of reference. And I'm going there and I'm saying, hey, look at me. You think I'm funny? You think I'm neat? You think I'm interesting? Well, then come out, come check out the stuff that actually matters. What I'm not trying to do is change anybody's heart or mind through Twitter. Um. And and so there's a sense in which I'm very intentionally preaching to the choir, and I don't feel shame about that. That's yeah. that's what I, if I was just in my life preaching to the choir, that'd be bad. But Twitter's a place where I go for five minutes a day to preach to the choir and say, "Hey, choir, you want to learn how to be a better choir? Well, come listen to my podcasts or, <laughs> or whatever." Um, but you know, like it's, it's if, if you're the kind of person that's going to write a tweet about spanking in order to change someone's mind or write a blog post or whatever, that's fine. If you're the kind of person that wants to say something, make someone say, oh, that's an interesting thought about spanking. I should see, I should go deeper. That's another kind of thing. I'm not saying which one's bad or which one's good. I'm just saying, know the difference, know which sure. one you're doing and, and do it well. So that's a lot. I hope that's, there's some helpful stuff in there. I I think there's a lot of helpful things, um, as I'm sure you would agree with. If on those kind of takeaways, if you are a Christian, honestly, if you're not a Christian, but especially if you're a Christian, um, th there's just no excuse to not be a part of a church. Um, there, yeah, 
there just there just isn't um you can tell me oh i don't like the church i'm going to oh there's this problem and you're probably right um so your option is to either gut it out try to make your church better um through however you can state what's going wrong or, or volunteering things you can do that you can go find another church um or you can go be a part of of planning a church elsewhere or, or something like that moving there there are no other options there's not mm. the i'll just go check something online for a year or two and then we'll get to something else no like you, you got to be a part of a church that tired of hearing those type of excuses so the other stuff I mean, I, on, on right, go go ahead well i just i really think like there's not a good church in my area johnny well at the end of the, if that's a is it is it, is it really not true or that there is, is it or is it really true that there's not a good church in your area or is it just that you don't like the music here or you have a slight disagreement <laughs> here or they wear ties and you prefer to wear sweater vests, whatever. There's all those kinds of things that we just need to overcome. And then if there's really not a good church in your area, the soul, your soul, the soul of your wife, the soul of your husband, the soul of your children, so much more important than the benefits you're getting from your fortune 500 company. I mean, move, move. If if you really tell me there is nothing, then what I'm going to tell you is your responsibility is to not live where you live. If, if now I, I'm not sure I believe you when you say there's nothing, right? but it, but granting that find a church so important. At one, 1000%. I agree with that completely. Um, I've been in situations where I've been not, not a, there's no good churches, but, um, yeah, this isn't the healthiest situation. I get it. I get those things happen. We're we're all messy people, but that is such a rare occurrence, especially and especially in, in Oklahoma or I'd assume in Indiana, um, but really anywhere in this country, very very rare. But like you said, if that is legitimately the case, I guarantee you, you can find a church somewhere. Um, and shoot, use the internet if you need to find the, find a pastor that you really respect and ask them do you have a tool do you know somebody nearby it it's imperative and it is not an option it's an option to interact on twitter or to listen to podcast or whatever that is not if you're going to be a follower of christ you have to be in a church that, mm-hmm. that's well, can, I, can i just say one more thing about that i'm sorry yeah. to keep interrupting no good i don't know how you smell and your pastor does and when he gets up, there is, and he's, he speaks to you, God works through the preaching of the word in a way that God simply does not through a podcast. And I am a yes. brilliant podcaster. Listen to my podcast, subscribe, share, five stars, everything. <laughs> I love podcasts. I love what you're doing, Johnny. I'm just saying, like, that can't be, that. that is not, that, that's like a supplement. It's not the meal. Yep. It cannot be the meal for people. Yes, that, absolutely. So I'm really glad that you you let it off with that. And again, the, the other things you mentioned, fantastic. Um, obviously, we both agree with with podcasting. I think it's a great medium. Um, I love listening to podcasts when I'm mowing the lawn and going for a run or whatever, like driving in the car. There's there's fantastic things about podcasts. It is not the church. 
It mm-hmm. just it, it isn't. It will never. And honestly, even the podcast of listening to John MacArthur or whoever that is preaching an old R.C. Sproul sermon or something like those are great, too. You should listen to those. That's not the same as being in church. You're going to you're going to have a pastor that's going to have far less speaking ability, probably in your mm-hmm. local community, but they're going to be more important to you. Um you absolutely have to. So, right, John MacArthur, yes. he, however wonderful he is, he's not the man that God has entrusted your soul with. Yes. unless you happen to go to his church. Absolutely. So, yes, definitely. Please take that home. Um, I think that's probably a, a good idea to bring that home on. Maybe not every single episode, bring that up, but often enough. Um, you cannot be. Uh, listening to even great voices on podcasts or even like I said, even great pastors and think that's the same thing as being in a body. It's, it's just not. Amen. Right. Well, that being said, um, I know you did a great job of pitching yourself earlier. Let's let you have one more chance to, to pitch yourself and, and where people can find you. Well, folks, you can follow me at Twitter on at Nathan Alberson. Of course, see wonderfully p- provocative tweets about all kinds of things taking down those pagans with the sword of justice that's me brother they don't stand a chance i am your hero give me your money but uh go to <laughs> just kidding uh, you can follow me at twitter at at nathan alverson but uh more importantly um as i said i really love the movie podcast that we're doing sanity at the movies would encourage you to listen to that even if you're not a big movie guy or gal you're going to hear a lot of uh, just general truth and uh, all in an incredibly fun package. So Sanity at the Movies, also Sound of Sanity, which is more broadly dealing with dealing with culture. We've got a podcast called The Bookening, which is uh, on a bit of a hiatus right now, but we talk about great literature. At some point, we're going to record our four-hour episode on Anna Karenina, the greatest novel by the greatest novelist of all time. But we've got a big backlog of episodes on uh, the great works of literature. If you like that kind of thing, you can also listen to Chip and Lance, our children's podcast. It's like a story kind of podcast with characters and hilarious comedy and stuff like that. You can also listen to The Ville, which is a drama fictional podcast. These are close to my heart. But if you just want an entry point into my wonderful work. You've been so inspired by everything that you've heard on this podcast today. And you're just like, I want to hear more of that guy. He's my hero. I never have to go to church again. Go to <laughs> listen to Sound of Sanity or Sanity at the Movies would, would be your 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 first stops. So there you go. Is that a good enough pitch? That's perfect. You, you nailed it. If everybody's not there right now, um, I'm very disappointed in you. Yeah, me too. That, that was a- that's a great pitch there. <laughs> Did I mention you're a bad person? If you don't, if you don't, if you hear all that, <laughs> terrible. Man. Yeah. Well, you better be there right now. I mean, yeah. seriously. I if you're driving your car, you better pull off and, and get there right now. Are you right still listening time. to this podcast when you could be listening to mine? <laughs> get off. <laughs> get off. No, no, no. First, you listen to Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. Uh, or no, uh, sorry, Faithful, Faithfully Engaged. engaged no. yeah. yes. First, you finish, you, you finish your whole, every episode, the whole back catalog of Faithfully Engaged. And then, and only then, you, you're like, <laughs> ah, no, my life is over. I have no more good podcasts to listen to. You go listen to uh, Sound Sanity or Sanity at the Movies. And once again, don't have to be a big movie person to listen to our movie podcast. You just have to want the best 
content on the internet. Perfect. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> well, Nathan, it's been great. Great conversations here. Um, I, I think the audience really has a, has a lot to glean from. They got a lot of homework to do as far as podcast listening to, to get to, but uh, I really, pre- really appreciate you being on today. Hey, it's been a joy. Thank you, Johnny. All right. Well, guys, I uh, hope, you, hope you enjoyed this conversation. We'll, we'll catch you on the next episode.